You know, I have a confession to make. Over the years, I've had an on-off love affair. Unmarried man, it's all right. It's not Jesus. And I'm not talking about liking chocolate or coffee or the colour yellow. It's this sense of the letters that were written to me sometimes melted my heart. And other times, they made me quite cross. And I'd close up the letters and almost want to screw them and throw them away. Other times, they were quite invitational. Other times, they were just full of information I didn't understand. So it was an on-off love affair. However, during this, these last months when we've been talking about this character called Paul, I have to confess, I've fallen in love with the man and not necessarily only his writings. And that's what I hope happens to you. Now, my head has been taken over by Paul. My sleeping, thinking, everything. I went to a seminar yesterday and I thought, I wonder where Paul fits in this. <laughs> Those who are there will understand. I'm just curious about this man called Paul. And we've had some great times with him already. Uh, our first one was an introduction to the context, the background, the story that made Paul who he was. Then we looked at his um, Damascus experience last week. And today, I want to talk about something that we don't really talk about very much at all, the silent years. Did you know that Paul had a period of silence? It's pretty hard to believe, isn't it? Someone that could speak like that. So we're going to talk about those silent years. But before I do that, I need to mention a little bit about the difference between biography and autobiography. When Luke wrote Acts, he was not necessarily writing an autobiography of Paul, although it was autobiographical at times, but he put a little bit about Peter in there and other stuff. But Luke's main purpose for writing Acts was not about Paul. It was about you and me, unless you're a Jew, and I don't really think there's many in here today. He was writing about the good news for people who were not brought up in the Jewish kingdom. He was writing about the extension of the kingdom of God into a people that had no idea that this God who created the earth the world, and everything in it was a God for all of the nations. And so Luke's story, it's just a bit here about Paul, a bit about Peter, a bit about the kings, a bit about that, a lot about how peoples of other nations accepted the good news of the kingdom. And so we can think it's all about Paul. It's all about the gospel. It's all about the extension of the kingdom. And Luke was excited to write that story so that by the time Paul actually was in his last years, not stealing your message for next week, while he was in his last years, he could look back and say, the gospel has gone 
to the known world, totally gone. And that is the story of Acts. So I get some highlights about Paul, and I get some of his speeches. And did you know he preached once, once and someone fell asleep, fell off the window, and died? I'm not going to do that to you today. Don't sit near the window. Paul did pray over him. It was okay. But some of his sermons must have been pretty long and maybe pretty boring. But never mind. Today we're going to look at Paul. The difference between autobiography and biography. So to get some of the biographical details, that is what Paul said or wrote about himself. Have you got that? So today's story, I've got to go outside of Acts because I'm not sure that Luke really knew too much about this and it wasn't important to his story, okay? But it was important for Paul and for us. So we're looking at the words that actually come from uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to go there, Paul's own words. But before we go there, let's just pray as we open up the scriptures. Lord, we say thank you very much for a man like Paul. A man whose heart was captivated, a man who had to reshape all of his thinking and living so that he could love you with all his heart, mind, soul and strength and serve us today. And as we open your word, I pray that you would speak so that the heart, our hearts, would be touched and open anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 12 to 24, which will be on the screen here. And uh, you're pretty good readers, aren't you? Would you read this with me? That's very good. So let's go for it. Ready? You're reading with me. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human beings, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at this time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judah didn't know me personally. All they knew was that the people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. There's just a little bit of his timeline I've put up here because this will help us see that 
Paul, th th these are rough dates, okay? These are rough dates. So Paul was converted on his way to Damascus, and then he went three years into Arabia. There is a timeline. <laughs> okay. He spends three years in Arabia. He returns to Damascus and uh, preaches Jesus as the Messiah. And about 36, he leaves Damascus because he is persecuted. How the tables turned. He visited Jerusalem, maybe for 15 days, and he meets with James and Peter. Then he goes home to Tarsus and the surrounding region. He's invited eventually by Barnabas to teach in Antioch. Now, all of that was about 10 years, okay? The 10 or so silent years that we have. Maybe even 13 years, if your maths is different from mine. So I want to talk about what happened or what it seems happened in these years. For me, it's like those of us who have moved from the explorer stage of understanding who Jesus is, and we've come to know this Jesus. And it's like, wow, I didn't know that. No one ever told me that. You know, sometimes not, that's not the real truth. For five years, I was a youth worker in Sydney, and we taught, and we had camps, and we had Bible studies, we had all of stuff, and we'd invite a speaker in. And a young person would come to the Lord, and they'd say, no one's ever told me that before. What happens at those moments is that the eyes of their understanding are open, and their hearts hear what they didn't hear before. And so... Hey, Paul had this experience. Some of you have had that experience. And then you discover that there's not much change in you. You sin, you still lie, you still cheat, you still do this, whatever you did before. And you start this journey of walking in the Spirit, of acknowledging your need of Him daily, of dependence on Him, of walking the walk of faith. And for some of us, that gets a bit tedious, a bit monotonous, and a bit repetitive. But all the time, God is wanting to do something in us. He's wanting to renew our minds. He's wanting to reform us, to change us from the inside out. And that is what happens to Jesus' followers if we're following after him and allowing his spirit to do that. So that's basically what happened to our friend Paul. So we look at the silent years and look at some of the reforming that needed to be happening in the life of Paul. Because all of us have been formed and some of you have heard about Paul, and I suggest that if you've missed the first two, um, first two sermons on this series, go to it. He was formed. Very strong, orthodox Jewish family. A very intelligent man. And a narrow-minded, bigoted man who only studied the Torah, the Old Testament, the scriptures, and he knew the traditions, he knew the practices, he knew what every scholar had written about 
the Old Testament. And that was the scope of his learning. And his ethnicity was traced way, way, way back to our friend Abraham. His family of origin I've talked about, his heritage, his culture. His culture was such that it was isolated and he would have nothing to do with anyone that was a non-Jew. He hadn't been to a cafe to drink coffee with foreigners. He hadn't had people around in his house unless they were Jewish. Very exclusive way of living. So that was his education, that was his Old Testament. And God needed to form him. So he goes for a wilderness experience. And there, his ethnicity, his family of origin, his heritage, his culture, and all of that is looked through the eyes of Jesus. He discovers that Jesus was in the Old Testament. Surprise! He discovered that Jesus was in his history. He read the creation story, and it was about the world that God made. He read about sin entering the world. We had a little bit of that there before. He read about the prophets who said that God was going to do a new creation, a recreation, make everything new. He read about Abraham and discovered the wonderful story of Abraham that was all about faith, that Abraham was told by God that he was righteous, right with God, because he believed God, had faith with God. He discovered that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Then he went to Moses and he discovered that the law that was given was an act of grace. That if you love me, if you say my, you are my people, your love for me and for your neighbor will be shown through these laws. He discovered that they had a horrible history, a history of war, injustice, pain, suffering. He discovered that his own people could not keep the law or follow God. And that was why he got involved in Judaism in the first time, in, in, as, as a zealot in the first time. He was out there to make sure you and you and you did not break any of the 613 laws that are in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Now, why are they there? They're there to give us an indication of what it was like to live the Ten Commandments. Wasn't the Ten Commandments that became most important? It was the 613. Excuse me. You know, once I was in Georgia and I was visiting this church, not Georgia or America, Georgia the country, and uh, I went with these people into this very orthodox church and we had to cover our heads and I was sitting with my legs crossed and this mama came up and slapped my leg, made me sit with both legs on the thing because tradition, practice, was important. And that's a little bit like Paul was like. He slapped your leg off. And so he actually believed that if all of God's people, called the Jewish people, could keep the commandments, especially the Sabbath, two weeks running, the Messiah would come. And we would deliver, be delivered. We, the Jewish people, would be delivered out of this horrible mess called the Roman Empire. 
That's what they believed. And he was zealous for that. But he discovered as he read the scriptures, it was by faith. There was grace. There was inclusiveness. There was incredible sense. This reforming process took time. Three years in the wilderness. Just need to do a bit of a sideline here. One of Paul's heroes was Elijah. Elijah was a zealot. He killed those prophets of Baal. If you want to read that story, do it. I won't go there today. But he was a zealot, and he was Paul's main hero. And he took after him, wielding the sword. But you know, when Elijah failed and was depressed and was being hounded, do you know where he went to? Arabia. What was in Arabia? Mount Sinai. What was in Mount Sinai? That's where Moses gave the promises, that gave the, was given the commandments. So physically, geographically, Paul retraced that journey to the family of origin, to where it all started. And there he could read it through the eyes of Jesus. I don't know what happened, but during that time, he was open to the Spirit. He took time. He reflected. There was confession. I'm sure there was tears. I'm sure there was a weeping. I don't know if he was alone or not. It doesn't say that. It just says I was three years in Arabia. How I'd like to know more. And he had the Old Testament, the Word of God. And everything he read, he read through the eyes of Jesus. He saw that the Messiah was promised. He saw that the Messiah had come, that the Messiah was Jesus Christ. And you didn't have to keep the Sabbath two weeks running and get your legs slapped for not keeping the law. It was true. The Messiah had come. The prophets wrote about it. They read there. And if you read that story, I was chosen before my mother's womb, it's the language of the prophets of the Old Testament in his biography. It's all there. So Isaiah came alive. And he read about this, King David. But you know, one of the things that Elijah was, had to do when he was on Mount Sinai, he was only there three days, um, 40 days, sorry, 40 days and 40 nights. Forgive me for that. Um, One of the things he had to do that God asked him to do was go back and anoint this person as king. And that is where Paul saw himself identifying with Elijah. He had to go back and tell the people that King Jesus was here. And so he had a very radical message I'm going to give you three words, a a radical, messianic eschatology. That's the heavy stuff. You got that? Radical, you know, okay? Messianic, you know? Jesus is the promised king. The word Messiah is translated in the New Testament as Christ, God's Christ, God's Messiah. Eschatology? That simply means the last days. And as he read the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, as he read the Psalms, as he reread the Torah, the first five books of the Lord, he discovered that this was the day of the Lord when God came down and gave us Jesus, 
Jesus among us, Jesus today, the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is the King Jesus of this world, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. What an incredible discovery. And this King Jesus was going to come back again and make everything new, everything. But meanwhile, there's a creation going on, a new creation. And he discovered that one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, was creating a new community of faith, one community made up of Jew and Gentile, male, female, slave, everyone. And they were called brothers and sisters. One God, one family, brothers and sisters. And he believed that all humans could be set free to worship one true God. That's how he came out of his Arabian experience. He quickly went to Damascus, and then he went on to Tarsus. He earned his living here, and uh, he was a tent maker. In those days, it was not necessarily um, a practice that rabbis would receive their income through other people. The priests, yes, but not the rabbis. Too bad if you're a teacher. Uh, but he actually set up so that the te- Paul actually, when he wrote Corinthians, established that the teachers could get um, some income too, just putting that in context. So he earned his living, and he's 10 years here. He goes back to his family home. He prayed, he studied, and he figured out the perspective that Jesus brought to the Old Testament. I wonder how many of you would be prepared to do that. What I hear today is that I don't need to read the Old Testament. We wouldn't have the New Testament without a Paul who read it through the eyes of Jesus. And that's my invitation. Don't get confused about the story of Israel with all their ups and downs and messes and all of the sin and corruption and all that kind of stuff. That's there, but so is that there in your life and my life, okay? Look for the God story through the eyes of Jesus. The other thing he did in these 10 years was preparing himself for a ministry to the Gentiles. What did that mean? He actually started to study Greek philosophy before it was narrow. Now it's Greek philosophy. The Epicureans, the Stoics, you read it in Acts, there it is. And he studied the religions of the other nations. Why on earth did he do that? Because he wanted to know how Jesus fitted into their context. Because they didn't have a Jewish background. And so when he talked about Jesus, he had to talk it from their background. And I love that part of his story. So here it is, he comes out of Tarsus, There's one God. He's created one new single family of brothers and sisters, and he believed all humans could be set free to worship one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Sorry for the order here, but I want to just highlight four truths, four truths that came out of Paul's silent years. One, it's by faith. It's not by works. Okay, faith. 
I believe, even though I don't understand or know. And it's not just faith that God will forgive my sins and all this kind of stuff. It's faith about who Jesus is and what he says he is. It's saying, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of the living God. I believe that by faith, some miracle, some way, that if I trust that you died for my sins and rose again and I give myself to King Jesus, that I'm in the family of God. Belief in Jesus. Faith. And it's by grace he had to discover that you can't earn it. You can't work it. You can't just perform It's grace. It's a given. It's something that we accept. And I tell you what, Westerners, we are so hard in our ability to accept grace. We want to know how much do we pay? What will it cost me? How can it possibly be free? It's by grace. He also discovered and taught something else union with Christ. And this is what I mean by that. He believed, and he actually said these words. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, when you look at me, Paul, I'm still living in the flesh. Okay, see me. But the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus died, I died to my sin. I was baptized into his burial. I went down, if you like, into the waters and I said, death to me. Alive to God, I rose and the spirit of God is within me. He taught union with Christ. His letters are full of it. His letters are full of it. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. The life I live, I now live by faith in the son of God who gave himself for me. So here's where we're going with this. He came out of it believing and teaching faith, grace, union with Christ, and inclusive. It's for all. It's for all. You've got a handout there. I'm just going to quickly go through this because uh, this is information about Paul concerning his reformation and his living the transformed life. And his transformation and the way he lived will be picked up more next week. So I just thought that this would be a great thing before he was a follower of Abraham, and that was his identity. Now he is a child of Abraham because Abraham is the father of all of us who are faithful. Father of the faithful. He was a follower of Moses. We looked at the screen. He's now in a new covenant relationship and is called grace. He was a keeper of the written law. Now the law is written on his heart by the Spirit. This is very brief, very quick, but it's some of the stuff that happened, and you can study this. He was a keeper of the Pharisaic laws. Now he saw that Jesus... Jesus, and he wrote this, Jesus has fulfilled the just requirements of the law for me. He wrote that in Romans. I don't have to worry about the law, but the law is written on his heart. And because he loves God and because of the spirit within him, he wants to please God and enjoy him. 
He was a faithful follower of the temple worship synagogue. And now, change of change, he acknowledges that we collectively here today are the temple. We are the temple of God. God dwells with us. And guess what? He's here right now. He's here in us individually, but in us collectively. The high priest was Jesus. The sacrifice was Jesus. Jerusalem is the new heavenly city. One new way, one God, one community. He also was a tent maker before and after. Didn't change. He probably was not married before. Although there's three ideas here. He could have had a wife who left him because he was a radical, crazy follower of the way and Jesus. He was could have been betrothed because it was a tr traditional orthodox family and an arranged marriage would have been made. Or, and she decided, or the family decided, that no way were they going to give their daughter to a crazy man like Paul, okay? Or could have died. We don't know, but he wasn't married. He lived in a male-dominated world before. Afterwards, he saw the light, <laughs> and he worked with women, and he promoted them, and he had no problem with them. Isn't that great? He was intelligent, a good student, and he took that into his conversion experience where he widened his study so that he could be a faithful preacher. He was a teacher, a preacher, a persecutor. He ended up being persecuted. His message, the Messiah has come and brought his kingdom. One God, one new community, one new creation, one king. He was zealous before, followed the hero of Phineas and Elijah, and now he actually saw himself as the new Elijah. And if you read your, his writings, you'll pick that up. He was a Pharisee, a sad Pharisee, seeking righteousness, working for it, making sure that you and I got it. And he discovered that righteousness was a given. The gift of being right with God because we believe who Jesus is. That is the silent inside story of Paul. Look at your life. How is it formed? Are you going through the reformed period where you allow your heart to be open, your eyes to see, and the Word of God to actually speak into your world and your life. 20 minutes in the chair, sometimes that's not enough. You may need help. You may need a course. You may need some further study. But 20 minutes in the chair is a good start, a good place to be as we allow the reforming work of the Spirit to be there for us. And this reforming work means that we are being transformed. Our minds are being renewed. Our hearts are being opened. For Paul, it was a stony heart, and he was given a heart of flesh. How's your heart? Amen.